The Innovation Show is brought to you by Gate One and Gate One Incubator that supports its team to become founder investors in a growing portfolio of startup opportunities. You can find Gate One at gateoneconsulting.com. In Chapter 5 of The Corporate Explorer, Bins, Tushman, and O'Reilly share how a corporate explorer created a new business inside the consulting and accounting firm Deloitte. His new unit, Deloitte Pixel uses the wisdom of the crowds to solve complex management problems. His first experience of the power of the crowds came when he was part of a self-organized community that came together to provide relief for victims of the 2004 of the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. This gave him a taste that communities of people could self-organize and do work that traditional organization structures might struggle to perform. He then started to apply similar principles of wisdom of the crowds to management consulting. It is a great pleasure to welcome that very corporate explorer, joined by his friend, Andrew Bins. Balaji, Bondili, and Andrew Bins, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Aiden. Thank you for having me. Hey, Aiden, how are you doing? I thought, Balaji, before I come to you, I'd come to Andy to give context to you from his perspective, because... We love people who work in innovation and work in consulting and innovation, love Balaji's because there's so many stories of this not working out. I was a failed corporate explorer myself where I just couldn't get the organization to get it over the line, made multiple mistakes that it appears that you didn't make. And before I come to you and the origin stories of the inkling of that idea that I mentioned in the introductory, in the introduction. I thought it'd come to Andy first, and Andy, maybe you'd give your introduction to Balaji. Thank you, uh, Aidan. Yeah, I'm delighted to, to do so. You know, corporate explorers are people who see a customer problem in the world, something they have passion personally about, just like an entrepreneur. And then they convert that insight, that passion into a business concept. And very often, it falls and a few succeed. And what Corporate Explorer is about is learning from people like uh, Balaji um, to kind of explain what makes the difference. And I think you're going to hear the difference. The, the difference is a lot to do with the, the depth of that passion, firstly, that understanding and commitment, then his commitment to learning. And in the book, I use this phrase, that uh, which I borrow from Balaji, what needs to be true? for my business to succeed, right? This, this tees up this whole notion of experimentation, what needs to be true. And then the, the, the next piece, which we actually don't tell uh, in the book because it's happened since, is the way that Balaji builds uh, what Mike Tushman calls a social movement or a leadership movement around the idea so that there's support in the business uh, in order for him to then take it to scale. And, and I think this sort of is one of those stories that really helps us to see what is possible uh, for a corporate explorer to achieve. So it's great to have you here, Balaji. Yeah, it's so great to have you, Balaji. And it's great to have the example, as I said. And I, I wanted to come to a couple of things, Balaji, first is there are so many people who listen to this show who are potential corporate explorers. But when they look ahead and they close their eyes and in their third eye, they see the possible obstacles and struggles that it will take to bring this new idea to life. They just go, ah, oh, I couldn't be bothered. And for whatever reason, as I mentioned there in the introduction, you had this idea, the 
the ingredients came together they marinated over time and you brought it to life what was it that actually made you go i'm going to go for this there had to be some factor that helped you get it over the line one of the aspects that is underappreciated um, when we talk about businesses built within large companies is the individual's motivations like my own reasons as to why i needed that to work as much as deloitte needed it to work of being a career consultant traveling around the world and you know and serving all of our clients um literally spending weeks and months away from family away from friends i had a personal motivation to not do that anymore and i wanted to be at the firm that i loved and i enjoyed without having the only option to serve my firm and my clients as this in person you know uh, road warrior so when i reflected on what is the best way to continue to serve serve the clients and solve the problems that we do while staying put at home and hanging out with my friends and family i had to come up with a different model that is both valuable to me and valuable to the firm so this was as much my own personal need to create this um which which drove me to do it so that's that's my own reason and second when i saw the struggles that we were having as we were transitioning to an analytics intensive ai intensive business we just didn't have the people that we need which was creating top line impact we couldn't grow as fast as we could and second it was creating a lot of pressure on people because you know you have you we we have a data science project in minneapolis somebody from san francisco had to travel there right so i had to marry these two to say is there a way that we can get work done where people around the world can participate in it which means if people around the world are participating in it i don't have to be at the client delivering it right so it, bringing both of these together came up with the idea called deloitte pixel which was bringing the ability of of people around the world to solve client problems while creating the dependency and consistency of the firm and bringing creativity and optionality of the crowd so it was a combination of my own need and the needs of the firm it's really interesting isn't it jabba that 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 when we look at startups the conversation always gravitates to the role of the entrepreneur Steve Jobs was such a phenomenal personality. You know, Jeff Bezos and his astonishing insight to be able to build Amazon in the way that he did or even, you know, Elon Musk could help us. And 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 that the, these personalities are what we explain the entrepreneur. But in corporations we say, "Oh, well what we need here is a structure, an ambidextrous structure, or we need a a process for innovation." Now, I make fun of those. I make a fair amount of money putting those in place, right? So it's it's sort of the real secret those things matter, but the 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 thing that makes the difference is the depth of commitment as Balaji says this matters to him. And and if you look at the others in my book, it matters to um Christian Kurtish um uh, at Unico it matters to um Yuki Matsuoka at, at Panasonic. It's like a personal crusade that 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 she is on. and it's very um individual in that sense these motivations just like an entrepreneur 
It, and 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 there's and I think what's interesting is that's a question then for corporations. How do you let that um, you know come forward in the right way? When I talk to startup companies that my friends are starting, I all one of the reasons you hear even in startups or in large companies is a lot of burnout because they haven't really accounted for their own personal needs, their own passion as a as a design principle into the business that they are building. So at some point in time, they kind of diverge. The company is growing too fast and they're not feeling the success of it. They're feeling more of the stress of it because they haven't actually structured in their perspective into the business model. Uh, it is a, the entrepreneur's preferred lifestyle, preferred reasons to it has to become a part of the business model. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't work for the person. And, you know, we all know lots of lots of entrepreneurs that have 1% equity and have the pains of this being the CEO of a large, you know, large startup. I didn't want to do that. Even as a, as a company, this has to work for me as well as the company. You've both kind of alluded to the idea of what's the carrot for the corporate explorer, because that's, that's a really important thing. Cause what I mean is I'm working in an organization, I'm getting paid for me now to become a corporate explorer. I'm taking on not just the potential of getting an idea like pixel over the line, but the political turmoil that I'll have to go through in order to achieve that, that I believe you've done really well, Balaji. So what was it that was the carrot above and beyond the idea that this was a personal mission? And maybe what were the organiz- what was the organization doing in order for you to go for it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great question. Uh, there's, a, there's a methodology or a framework that Deloitte uses. It's called business chemistry where you can answer a set of questions and it'll tell you across four categories of attitudes or persona where you fit in. And the four categories are um, you could be a guardian that loves rules, wants to stick to rules. You're an integrator that brings people together and gets stuff done. You're a driver that is always thinking about forward progress. And the fourth is pioneer, which is somebody that that likes the ambiguity of, of building building businesses. And the reason I bring those four uh, archetypes of people is because a carrot is different for each of them. For me, the carrot is not doing the same thing I've been doing for a long time. Second, the biggest carrot for me is I feel like I need to own something that I have built. My ego needs that while also needing a steady paycheck. So that's the fact that I had the option to do and build my own is the biggest, biggest carrot for me. And to be allowed to do that, I'm willing to take on all the friction of politics of the large company. That's the fundamental. And of course, then it is my job to figure out what is the messages that the company needs to hear? What is the value that the company needs to get? so that I'm able to do what I want to do and build what I need to build because it would be a lot more suffocating for me to be, you know, just running the grind in the ex- exploit part of the organization versus the friction of the uh, explore part of the organization. Andy and I were nodding there when you were saying about the the getting bored, bored with the exploit. And I see that so much as a characteristic of so many of the audience of this show and so many corporate explorers is that once it gets to a point of scale, it's kind of becomes an Excel job or it's a line item in a repeatable 
reliable revenue stream and it becomes kind of boring and it loses its appeal to the corporate explorer as well. And that's exactly where I was going with the characteristics because the characteristics of the corporate explorer are often that kind of, I want to build something which suggests you're creative and you want to see something brought forth in the world. Andy, what, what are your, I mean, you've worked, you have been a corporate explorer. Also, you've also seen, Bology mentioned there, the pioneers, but the pioneers take the arrows. And as your colleague, Carol Kovac, discovered, that is very, very true as well. So the, that's right. The, there is something about uh, an explorer, corporate explorer, an entrepreneur, which is similar, which is this, you know, ability, this magnetic compulsion to explore, to do new things, right? And uh, you know, some talk about it as being sort of low S curve behavior, right? Uh, in, in the sense of the, the 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 growth and maturity of a business, some of us are just more attracted uh, to the early stages. Now, what's interesting is that um, you also can have a phenomenon that we're, where the explorers uh, actually pull back at the moment at which something goes to scale, right? That they will go up and up the S curve, and the moment at which you need to invest and stabilize the business in order to take it to scale, they pull back and say, "Well, no, maybe we're not serious. Let's go do something else." Right? And so I have a client, a very large client, where there's a very large number of people who are this profile. And it repeat for me, it explains some of their repeating problems with scaling phenomenal innovations that they have is that they they have so many people who kind of approach this moment and then pull back. And so there's also this piece where you need and and Balaji called them integrators, you need people who are going to then pick up the baton at the next step in the relay race, right? So although um, uh, some corporate explorers are just at the beginning, um, and some go all the way through that S curve. So, um, if you look at um, we, we, in the book, we talk about Jim Peck uh, at uh, LexisNexis Risk building this um, multi-billion-dollar uh, risk analytics business, um, and he went on to be CEO of that. He's now on his third gig as a CEO. Right. So he's clearly somebody who was low S curve and can move into the, in, in take the business to scale. Um, but sometimes you have to change. And, and it's kind of okay. <laughs> it can be a relay race. An example of that would be uh, at Best Buy, where Best Buy Health has gone from this kind of nascent idea, testing out the boundaries of what it might do in healthcare, finding some interesting things. And then in comes Deborah DeSanzi, and she makes the place go on fire. You know, she turns it from a nascent idea into a really charging ahead business with some um, the sort of insight, energy that and passion that, that that she brings. So it's it's never just one story. I think is is what I'd say. Yeah. To add to that, uh, Andy, if, if I reflect on one thing that we uh, one thing that I try not to do is the initial idea is also the end state, which means the one way to keep your motivation up and increasing the value to the firm is to keep scaling the ambition of of the of what you are trying to do for example when when i started with with pixel it was purely just crowdsourcing competitive crowdsourcing and then over a period of time we added freelance marketplaces or the time we added any external worker or the time we added profitability, you know, actually building true different 
business models where non-employees were were like a huge component. I think allowing for that, the company has to allow for that idea to evolve versus almost I, I, I many times I request companies and my fellow innovators to think less about an idea versus more about a market so that you have, you don't pigeonhole yourself into, into one business model canvas versus expand, allow pivots into wherever, however is the ability to bring that market to bear for your, for your company. You know, this is almost like a different model of innovation than the traditional one that many corporations have had. Um, last week, uh, I was in the Midwest with a very large industrial company, a, a fabulous innovation story um, that we all know, uh, which I can't name. Um, and and they've kind of lost their way. And they've lost their way um, partly because they used to have a model with lots of technical innovation, lots of ideas, and then they'd find out why it, where it mattered and what problem it solved. And some smart management consultant came along, probably the firm I used to work for, and said, um, oh, well, um, have you noticed you're making most of your profit from uh, 10% of your products? You should cut all the rest of this other stuff. And guess what? Product launches collapse, right? And they have no system of innovation to replace the old system. And so part of what uh, I think Balaji's just described is the alternative. And the alternative is don't go looking for ideas, go looking for problems in markets. Go understand where you're hunting, find problems and keep iterating the solution to those problems. And you'll find bigger opportunities as you do. Um, and you, 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 it becomes additive rather than um, rather than just about proving uh, uh, proving that you're right. Now, interestingly, this is a little different than the entrepreneur mentality. Uh, entrepreneurs um, are, are in this generation, at least, tend to be quite narrow. They tend to be quite narrow because their exit is to a corporate, and a corporate needs to be able to understand and value the point technology or solution that they're providing. And so they, they they don't tend to do this exploring across. Let's let's understand the problem, let's understand the problem in the way that maybe they would have done twenty years ago. So th these sort of models of innovation, I think, are really really significant for us right now. I'm I'm thinking about as we as we discuss the models of innovation, what I see happening in the world today with generative AI and 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 it is it is less about individual ideas versus a truly transformative infrastructure to completely change companies. Like, for example, um, uh, the OpenAI's innovation at Microsoft is not one idea. It is infrastructure that fits into every part of the firm. When Bloomberg launched Bloomberg GPT, it is not an individual idea. It is transformative to the entire portfolio of products and it creates new products. I think sometimes in, in the past, the, the way we used to talk about discrete ideas keeps companies away from thinking about transformational infrastructure that is needed to make a hundred of these ideas work. So you invest in these um, islands of ideas which increases their time to market, increases their cost to market because the company hasn't made the choice to build infrastructure. It's almost like saying an automobile company that has been selling 
uh, gas cars all these years to suddenly say, let's have an idea to build an EV versus you have to build a platform so that you can spin off 25 different formats of EVs. I feel like our innovation systems, as you're rightly saying, has to evolve to infrastructure conversations versus idea-specific conversations. Yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating way of thinking about it. And if you think back to why is it that the industrial internet of things has taken so long to evolve as a technology, it's partly because we pursued it as being, you know, solving particular use cases rather than thinking about it as a platform of capabilities um, that that you can apply in various different places. Uh, it, the trouble is that sometimes when you take that sort of platform infrastructure approach, it implies a very large investment. And if you don't know the problems it's going to solve or you don't have the curiosity to learn, you end up potentially with white elephants, which you know happened in that instance, and we tell one of those stories in the book, right? So it's kind of a a how do you attach both to the uh, the the case for a fund investing in a fundamental shift of capabilities and stay attached to okay, what are the individual use cases you're going to solve with it, so that the commercialization engine is also as as fast as the the uh, infrastructure development one. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm just trying to think about, again, going back to what you said at the beginning, what needs to be true about the market so that the company can actually make the choice saying, is this a discrete idea or do we have to invest in the infrastructure to build out, you know, um, 25 products or a whole segment in our P&L in, in five years? And I feel like sometimes the companies make the mistake of looking at that you know, new PNL line item as a discrete idea, which means, you know, it has to live and die by its own sword. Yeah, so the idea dies, but neither does the company have a new segment of business. Yeah, and it, it's a little bit about scale of ambition, right? If you set out a scale of ambition to transform yeah, right. a market, which I think is what you're saying, rather than to deliver a particular business, and you think quite differently about those kinds of investment choices yeah. because you're seeing opportunity, yeah. you understand it, you just haven't figured out exactly how to do it yet. And and you're going to build the capabilities to do it yeah. and you're going to keep exploring, testing, learning in, until you find a place where, where it's going to uh, succeed. I really do want to come back to some of the challenges and indeed Charles will kill me if I don't come back to me because he told me to come back to you asking about how you socialized the idea and how you communicated with people, how you didn't raise the corporate antibodies throughout the organization. I want to come back to that. But in the meantime, I have asked many corporate explorers who listen to this show, what would they ask you about succeeding? And they were like kind of saying, and this, this doesn't make light of it, but ideation and incubation is kind of the easier part. It's when things get serious and you move from explore to exploit that it gets difficult. And that was the questions. How did you move from explore to exploit when the organization goes, okay, there's something in this go for apology. And then what type of people did you have to hire? And indeed, how did you have to change your own mindset? Yeah. So um, if you th think about, again, there are different archetypes of ideas, right? The archetype of idea for Pixel was it would have been most successful, it was integrated into the firm. 
which meant that I needed to figure out how to make it extremely easy for people to use it, number one. Number two, I had to communicate that this is not um, some new mythical being that they are. They need to really understand deeply about how to use it versus I need, didn't want to communicate how different this is. I only wanted to communicate how this makes their lives easier. For example, when we all started using the internet, my job is to become the browser so that anybody could use external talent and crowdsourcing extremely easily versus trying to explain TCP IP protocols to everybody. So that, so if you take on that role of making the value proposition easy for them to use in a matter, in the way that they are used to using, they don't really need to understand in the back there is these nameless, crowdless crowd competitions happening versus you will get a similar or same and sometimes better outcomes at lower cost at a faster pace. Isn't that good for you? If the answer is yes, then we will come in, my team will come in, we'll deploy that solution, work with your team and seamlessly integrate so that you can see the speed and be very happy when we deliver work to our clients. So I almost had it, had to hide the difference in the solution in the back end so that they can see the seamless integration and the value to the client in the front end. It does take a, a little bit of a rethinking, a reimagining of my own ego that I didn't need to sell this new widget as a way to prove that this is working. As long as it was being used, scaled within the company, that was more important to me than they're recognizing that this is crowdsourcing. That was less important to me. And I think that was important for, for scale um, given the archetype of, of product or at least of solution this is. Brilliant. Andy, do you want to come in on that at all? A absolutely. You know, there's so much that that, that is in what, um, what Balaji talks about on this. I mean, one of them, I love this use of the word architecture. Do you architect it in order to fit the business? Secondly, um, there's this notion you were just on, the sort of the value to your clients or in other businesses, the value to the customer. This is really significant because what you do is you tap into the motivation of the person whose support or help you need, right? And, you, you know, there's one academic who um, uh, uh, you should have on your show, um, if you haven't already, Ron Adner. And, and Ron does this book on ecosystems, and Ron talks about the adoption chain, right? What are the different steps that goes from the creation of a product to its consumption by its user. And that this is what Balaji faces. He has an adoption chain. He can't take this directly to, to the full potential of Deloitte's customers, clients. He has to go through the partners uh, with projects, with cost clients, and he has to present a value proposition to them as well as a value proposition to the end customer. So this sort of um, uh, attention to the motivation of the uh, of that intermediary, essentially, uh, is really significant. And then finally, this this low ego, right, is that is the least likely thing to find in an entrepreneur and the most important thing to the success of a corporate explorer, that that at some level, you know, you, you, this isn't quite a biology situation, I think, but but you have to make the senior team think that it's their idea, right? 
that that you you don't go around sort of uh, let me tell you how clever my idea is you say hey i i've been listening to what you said and i realized how brilliant you are uh, let me say what, what what how i think we can make that happen right and and there this is what corporate explorers do right They've, it sounds a little manipulative but actually it's about working with your investor base in order to get the support you need to realize the ambition it's just like what it is i personally that's one of the places i fell down big time where I felt I had to get credit for the idea. And I even when when the idea was starting to succeed, and then the organization who had adopted the idea started to talk about it, I was kind of going, that was that's my idea. And I as I said to Andy the last day, you're better to be a credit maker than a credit taker. And I, I'm going to tee you up because I'd love you to share this because this is where both Charles and Mike said you were brilliant, that you were egoless, you were a brilliant communicator and you thought about the ecosystem of people you needed to communicate with. I'm going to share that little excerpt where Charles says, you've got to come back and talk to Balaji about this. So up on your screen is going to come this little share. One of the brilliant things about Balaji was his way of not getting in people's faces, of being resilient, of sharing credit. <clears throat> if other people said this was my idea, Balaji was okay with that. And so Andy will talk about kind of some of the things that it takes to be successful as a, as a corporate explorer. There we go. Over to you, man. Yeah, it's, I think uh, a couple of things are, are, are important. Whenever somebody says, this is a great idea and I played a part in it or I was a sponsor, I funded it, you need a, a small little village within a large company for any of these to be successful. And just like no one person owns owns that baby in that time, this is it takes a village, and you have to say yes to more people that you were fundamental to creating and scaling the business. Because in the end, I don't have I don't have equity in the business. So for me, ownership, sharing ownership, has no cost. So in a, within a large company, share the ownership, share the credit as widely as you can, because it has no implication to, to true equity, right? And the more people that claim credit for it, it is, uh, it is those people that are on the 80th percentile of adoption, they need these senior people to say, it is my idea because their signals for usage are basically these types of senior executives saying it was it was it was my idea. So it's it is very self. It makes sense for for Pixel to have to have said yes to each of each of these times. But equally importantly, there you corporate explorers often are irrelevant within their own companies because there is um, the company doesn't really know how to treat them. Um, because you start, you've started something that the company is not good at. There isn't also uh, feedback loops, learning that the company can give you. Um, so the second thing that you have to do as a result, your validation actually comes from outside of the company. It actually comes from other corporate explorers that are building either similar products or building some completely something else, but are facing the same problems as you are. And a community of those people are the ones that tell you, yes, you are on the right path or no, you're not on the right path because the company 
cannot do that for you because the company doesn't truly understand who you are as yet. So I was able to take on a lot of friction, a lot of irrelevance within the company because I think I built a really good ecosystem of people outside of the firm that told me I was on track. So I'm like, you know, Deloitte will come along or at least a set of people that are struggling would come along, but also recognizing that some people will never come along. And you don't need to convince everybody in a large company, agnostic of whether it's Deloitte or not, that they need to be part of the journey. 50% of the people might not come along, and that's fine. They're, 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 and you know, as you think about that, when the, when the, when the um, product or the process becomes extremely seamless, it gets integrated into, into, into the processes of the firm, they will probably use it without even recognizing it. And I think getting to that point is, is, is important. I, can I just echo a little of this? Because I think you know, I, I have a lot of fun at the end of the, the talks that I do. Um, I, I, I have a picture of an astronaut, right? And I point out how the uh, astronauts, the, 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 the lunar landings, how there were um, opinion polls showing how the American public were against um, the Apollo program, how there was a letter to Scientific America from leading scientists saying, you know, Congress cut off funding to NASA, right? In other words, we are often heroes of the new are seen as idiots, sorry, biology, um, or, or fools before they're successful. And that's the way that corporations instinctively and often unintentionally treat the explorer right and and the the, the challenge is uh, not to let that get you down and instead have this kind of somewhat sophisticated approach to building your influence uh, uh, or, or social network around you right so that you really understand who your allies are um, who um, uh, the, the people you can go to and get access to resources you know you talk uh, Balaji, about those those first customers uh, where you were able to take the the proof of concept to to and these were your allies, the people who would give you the start uh, that you needed. But you also need advocates, uh, people who were going to speak up for you, because one of the way that corporations work is that one little piece of bad news travels like wildfire around the organization about what a waste of money uh, this new venture is, and you need people who can stand there and say, where, where do we actually, I think you need to put that into context, right? I've already heard from the Corporate Explorer about what's going on. And let me tell you what, um, what that means, right? Um, and, and, but you, but you also need, you know, the angel sponsor, the person who's going to commit resources. And one of the things that's uh, interesting when I go around talking to Corporate Explorers and different companies is that uh, almost never have they really thought systematically about who those people are. They just hope they'll appear, right? They don't think it's part of their job to go find them. But if you were an entrepreneur and you had to go up and down Sand Hill Road to find uh, VC firms, you would know for each VC firm you're going to, you know, the deals that they've signed in the last few years, what their main sort of investment themes are, you know, what kind of their usual uh, partners are in other firms, you know, where they're children go to school, you know, where they shop, you know, you'd know everything about them. But you'd imagine as a corporate explorer, oh, that's just not something I need to worry about. You know, that's just not true. You need to be very systematic about how you manage 
this this influence uh, base around you. And I think it's it's important to to respect the people that you that say no to you. The 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 firm is 150 years old, or any large company is large because they haven't taken stupid risks at some point in their time. And it's that it's sometimes we look down on that risk averse um, attitude and and think that that is not the right thing to do. But I think the reason why these companies, their longevity is directly proportional to their risk averse averse nature. And I, 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 I think we talk a lot about startups and how fast do they move, but large companies still contribute um, 60% of the US GDP. I mean, I can I can get fact check on that, but it's these play they play a big role in the economy, in, in and they provide stability to the economy. And the only way they can do that is not by is not by taking making bad bets. And as these as these uh, you know uh, leaders say no to you, it's not because they hate you as a person. They have a deeply entrenched interest to maintaining and scaling the firm in a steady manner, which is what it needs at that, at that scale. And that is the reason I've never, one of, one of the issues that I have with Silicon Valley and the way it innovates is it, you have this, this term that I hate vehemently called the incumbent, which is almost as though it is bound to get destroyed, bound to get, you know, startups will come and eat their, eat their food. But I think there's a corporate explorers have to do it with greater respect because your salary, your team, your experimentation is being funded by those so-called boring people living in the past. And you have to respect that a little bit more. And once you deal deal with them with that respect that the, you you understand them and where they are coming from and you're a good steward of, of the company's money and the firm's money, you get way more latitude than if you are brash and your your fear mongering, exactly. The, the the and and in a sense, it's an empowering message. It means that in any organization, the most likely corporate explorers are those people with more than ten years of uh, of tenure in the company. It's like those are the explorers, not the folks you hire in from Silicon Valley. Why? Well, because. A, they know how to get things done inside the organization. They probably spent a long time learning what the customer problems are, and they know them deeply, but just feel like we'll never get, you know, there's kind of a moment in which they get impatient and decide, well, let's go for it. Let's see if we can solve this problem. All right. And 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 also the key thing also is they're trusted more, right? So that when, the, when Balaji emerges with this idea, they're not trying to isolate, is it the idea that's struggling or is it Balaji? Is 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 this a good leader or is this a bad idea? I can't tell. And this is honestly quoted to me by um, CEOs who decide to fire their newly hired corporate explorers from the outside is because they couldn't tell the difference. Um, and it's it, the, the the corporate explorer from the inside is has a much higher success rate. It, it's not a one to one. There are some very successful outside hires, um, but th- it's much less likely uh, to succeed. I was reading about the how the the Lexus came to life for Toyota, and it only came to life because the executive in charge had a proven track record. And I thought about how difficult it is because 
they will often not let that idea come through because somebody has tried something in the past and it didn't work out. Could have been bad timing, could have been the bad team, whatever it might have been, or the organization could have quashed it. So this brings us to this idea of the resilience needed because I mentioned that term, the pioneers take the arrows. And while you went around and let your ego not take over you, you still would have encountered huge resistance. And I'd love you to maybe talk about how you manage that and managed yourself as well, because it can be quite mentally challenging to go through that type of resistance and, and ostracization sometimes in an organization. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what I said about the, the, the person as well as the business person, right? Um, I knew that this path was going to be tough. But I also knew that I could not connect all of my identity to being a corporate explorer. I would say even today, um, only 40% of my identity is being a Deloitte you know, uh, partner director. There's unique, the, the counterbalance uh, comes from your own interests as a person that is outside of the company and the counterbalance comes from your family that you enjoy spending with. So when you have a, a bad day when, you know, what you wanted to happen doesn't happen, you feel the irrelevance, you have to be able to shut your, shut your computer and go back to things that actually make you, make you feel awesome about yourself. And that is important as a business model characteristic because if you if your identity is completely connected to it, I feel sometimes you make actually bad choices that make you happy that might not be the best for scaling of that opportunity or idea. So I should, dealing with frustration is a true skill for corporate explorers, but saying it is not that important is also an important skill. And I think um, my resilience came from allowing, expecting a bunch of failures, expecting a lot of no's, but knowing that I have other interests to fall back on that will give me pride and self-worth. And being a corporate explorer is only one part of my self-worth, not all of it. It's back to this ego thing. You know, we, this, this phrase about treating, um, uh, treating sort of uh, victory and failure both as imposters. Right is really important, and you need to be able to have this groundedness. And I was just thinking, you know, when I think of the corporate explorers I know, um, uh, they're the ones most likely to tell me about their families in a conversation, right? That the, they, you know, and I'm thinking about Christian Curtis has a daughter, and he talks to me. You've mentioned your family. I, I feel I pick up your wife's energy on LinkedIn in support of you, right? Uh, and and I and I know um, uh, Yoki Matsuoka has this fabulous fa large family, which, given how successful she is, is amazing. You know, and and her pet pig, right? And 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 it's actually there's something about this where um, the corporate explorer is more community socially oriented and less self oriented, right? There's something about that that uh, it would be loved to validate with real research. I mentioned some of the questions I got from corporate explorers. And one of those questions was, okay, I'm now starting to scale, and I need to hire people. And I've been used to doing this on my own so far. Who are the key people I need to put in place first? Yeah, it's a, 
I think one thing that you have to recognize if you've been with a company long enough or if you are you know a little bit more seasoned or you have experience um starting a new business like this is going to be a very different experience than you know running something that you are very confident at i would say the best teams that i've had we were all equals because we were all learning together if it were a regular consulting project that i've done rinsed and repeated many many times i knew what to tell the team to say if you follow this path there's a greater chances for success versus if you follow another path with a new business like this i had no clue which path would be successful and which path won't be successful second it's a it's a constant learning from the team because they're on the front lines dealing with either the technology team dealing with the customers dealing with the firm and you're learning from them they are your sources of learning but your biggest role in many ways is to manage uh frustration of your team members because they are feeling that irrelevance as much if not more than you second you have to stay stand back as a fallback so that when they fail or when their experiments go awry it is your fault not their fault third is an ability to bring people that make you uncomfortable with the status quo um i had a couple of team members that were so hard on me and so hard on the business because they wanted excellence and they wanted to prove that this could scale this could be bigger even than my own ambition and ensuring that you are you are basically a path or a channel for them to uh, bring their energy and their passion is another job that you do uh hierarchy is probably the worst thing to bring in till the idea is at some some scale and you can actually put in structure until then all of these people are equal and i would say they actually know more about the business than you would ever do and your job and your role and identity changes very significantly from the last 20 years of experience that you've had um from the time that you started a new business within a large company brilliant man that's brilliant i so my last question i have for you then is your message for a corporate explorer so when people are facing this a huge proportion of our show are corporate explorers or trying to drive change within an organization or a startup founder or in, indeed a ceo or a coo or of an organization trying to be the head of transformation and the the road is rocky like we we have to admit that but what is your message for them a message of encouragement I would say the the most important message is a corporate explorer has to feel the agency that they can make the change happen has to feel the agency and confidence and passion that they believe in a different future or an adjacent future for their firm and they have to lead with that with that belief in in dealing with all the setbacks and dealing with what need who needs to agree with that vision but it's it starts with their own confidence and their own feeling of agency that I can do this i think this is the right thing for my firm that you know i'm assuming they still like and they love that this is the right answer for them and there are and you know going back to the startup comparison 
our economy, our world runs primarily on large companies and their ability to shift and change is critical for the world world that we live in. While we always look uh, with rose-tinted glasses at startups, the economy works on large companies and their ability to change their own company has a bigger impact on the world than, you know, than startups that, you know, only one among 20 actually survive to a CDC. So feel the agency, feel the role that you that you want to create within the company and the, the impact that you have in the world. And uh, for the right types of ideas, the company is a better channel to get there than your own, than starting on your own. But also know when the company is a liability, that too much is stacked against the idea for it to be successful. And that's when you quit and start your own firm as well. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. The corporate explorer in the flesh, Balaji Bandili, and indeed the author of The Corporate Explorer, Andrew Bins. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Aidan. Appreciate it. Thank you, Aidan. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you and with, uh, with Balaji, the hero of, of Chapter 5. Thanks, as always, to Gate1 and Gate1 Incubator that supports its own team to become founder investors in a growing portfolio of startup opportunities. You can find Gate1 at gate1consulting.com.